exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Bonnie Roberts. And Bonnie and I, we're actually newish friends, but like connected like boom, pretty deeply. I think we just met, um, did we both speak in an event? Is that how we uh-huh. met? Yeah, okay. and then I got a makeover from you. Yeah, and then, and then you know, that, that happens. Stop talking. People, and we <laughs> just, I don't even remember how long it was, but it was like when she left, I was like, we're friends. That's yep. how it is. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, and now my daughter and you are really close as well. Um, yeah, because um, the teenagers love me, you know. Because yeah. you're I'm just... an awesome speaker, and she said it was her favorite thing from that whole conference. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the best compliment. That, I mean, especially because, like, adults will always, like, just clap for you because they're glad it's not them. <laughs> yes. You know? <laughs> but teenagers, um, you know, you got you got to earn it. Right. And it's one of the things that I kind of love about teenagers is they don't just tell you you were great. Like they'll tell you like, I like this and I didn't like this. And it helps you become a better speaker when you're really open to what a teenager will tell you. Or they'll say, you're my best friend now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because I have the humor of a fifth grader. So they can relate to me, you know, using the word poopy and stuff. They're like, oh, I'm older than her because I have, you know, more edgy humor. (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, okay. So tell them a little bit about you. Cause I know a little bit, but I don't know what you want to share with yeah. everybody. Yeah. So I've been divorced for about five years, um, after a really disconnected marriage. And I was so lost in that marriage. Like I didn't know who I was because I got married really young and I just didn't have a clue who Bonnie is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I knew I was miserable. I blamed my husband because he's my husband. He's supposed to make me happy. Right. I didn't realize that I'm supposed to make me happy, not him. And so all this resentment built up and it just got more and more disconnected. Um, But then uh, (laughs) my daughter told me um, a couple of years ago, she said, Hey mom, you used to be boring. And I was like, thanks. That's like the best compliment ever. And she was right because when I didn't know who I was, I was so boring <laughs> and I love myself now. I just think I'm, I just think I'm fascinating. So yeah, no, there's, I found myself, right? I, I <laughs> think I'm fascinating too. And, um, and that's good for us. I mean, yeah. anyone out there going, oh my crap, I cannot believe that Bonnie and Lita say that out loud. <laughs> right. But, um, what we get to spend all of our time with ourselves. And it might as well be worth the effort to put the work into yourself to enjoy that time. Yes. And I am very proud. And you, I know, are very proud of who we become despite the things that happen to us. But I want to dive in. The things that happen to us, right? (laughs) Right, right. I want to dive in because I really think the words you used, um, though overused, the word I'm about to use, were very empowering. Disconnected. And you talked about blame. And I thought that was really, really powerful because you didn't put, he was a big jerk. He was these terrible things. I don't know. He might've been from what you said though. We all have our moments. (laughs) Yeah. We took ownership of what your part in it was. And that is really sexy to me. Right. I mean, not just like a beautiful, sexy, but very attractive because when I meet people who were like, I was never in love with them. I'm like, so you're capable of lying for 18 years? Ouch. Right? Like you have rewritten this story to make you the only hero in the story. Wow. Instead of a human in a story, 
And as though being in love just happens to you, you're not, as though you don't have any control over that. (laughs) Right. Because you have a responsibility to stay in love, right? It doesn't just happen. (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I believe that there are eternal principles, right? And that regardless of what you apply those principles to, they are true. Yes. So the principle of accountability is one of those that I'm like, ooh, like, mm, I, I love it when I see it in people because- Um, Yeah. When I, in my book, love me too. I talk about the principle that the, the man that chose to molest me knows I didn't say my, because I'm not taking ownership of his actions. Right. Um, Yeah. Right. But that chose to molest me was a hundred percent responsible for what happened, but the responsibility for me to clean up the mess, if I chase after him to try to get him to take responsibility for his bad actions, I'm going to spend my whole entire life in vengeance and resentment. Ooh, and then he right? has so much power over you still. So I took responsibility to clean up the mess in my life, even though we're talking about a 14-year-old girl, and that made all the difference and started to make me very uncomfortable to the people who that was an alien concept. Yeah. So I see that same parallel in what you just said. You were connotating... You didn't give us this whole big saga story, but you were connotating that you took responsibility for your part in that marriage. And even if it was 0.01% or it was 50% or it was 80%, you took responsibility for that. And that is cool. Yeah. And that's when you can feel completely satisfied because that's, that's the only thing you can do is take responsibility for your part. You can't control the past or what they did or anything you can only control what what you have responsibility over and when you clean up those messes you can feel 100% satisfied even though it was completely wrong what they did or whatever the story is or even what you did you yeah. know but you take responsibility mm-hmm. and you own that and that is where you can spend some really nice time in your own head and find yourself fascinating yeah and then it's out of your hands and they get to make, mm-hmm. people are, just make choices and they do what they're going to do. They're always, they're just going to do what they're going to do. And we can't make it mean anything about us personally, because what they do has nothing to do with us. Even if it seems really personal, even if they're our spouse, right? right? It doesn't mean anything about me. And I had this lightning bolt moment. The, the day my husband said, I'm leaving you. And you would think you would think that that I would have like broke down, freaked out, started crying, but something hit me in that moment and I realized I was free mm. because I realized this has nothing to do with me, like him leaving me. That sounds like a gift of, you know, what I would call the spirit. Yes. Because that could be this really, really devastating words to hear. And I've, I've walked through some people who've been blindsided by a spouse saying the marriage is over yeah and that you were given that insight yes you know that kind of like held you in that moment to like let's kind of ride this wave you know that yeah. that was a gift it was straight from god just bam like it felt like i was being struck by lightning i've never experienced something like that 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 just sudden realization and and i knew in that moment that I am in charge of my life and he isn't. And I'm so grateful for that realization because that's given me, that's empowered me ever since. The word that's coming to my mind is when you were saying what people are going to do, what people are going to do. And I kind of, I think probably everyone listening probably had someone in their life who were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People do it, (laughs) you know, but I think the difference is this intentionality that you, you paused in that space to not react and be like, okay, what, what does this look like now versus yes. I'm going to plead, I'm going to beg, I'm going to cry, I'm going to freak out. Those are reactive. And this is something that I talk about a ton. So of course I find accountability and intention and, you know, certain principles, everything I, I hear, you know, because it's like, these are the principles that regardless of what happens to us, we get to decide how we react. Doesn't mean we don't have different feelings, but we get to decide how we react. Yes. Or how we, can I, uh, can I edit your word? Absolutely. 
absolutely how we, how we respond because right is more right. of a like knee jerk you're 100 right because i was just saying reacting was like the opposite of intentionality so thank you for clarifying that you're right how we respond to it the outward manifestation of what we do with that yeah because when you know? we have that space of consciousness we can actually choose instead of when we're unconscious we just react right and right. we don't really have a choice because we don't see it as we don't see ourselves as having chosen that behavior. We do, right? We, become we always victim. choose our behavior, but we don't right. see ourselves. We don't notice yeah. it. We don't have the space. Because then we become a victim to, well, they did this and they made me. And, yes. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, Victor Frankl's um, Man's Virtual Meaning. I was just yeah. thinking about that. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's like. Right. I mean, I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but people, it is a classic book to read along with a Tori Tim Booms, um, The Hiding Place. Yes. And I, I'm kind of scared that they have application again in our world. Uh, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Mm, you know, just this, the call for the eradication of a whole entire people. I thought we'd evolve beyond that. Right. You know? uh, the us yeah, you, them. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be in this tribalism anymore. Well, we've, we've, human beings have always been tribal, but I thought, um, and then of course, it's just that I'm saying that I'm like, no, we haven't because during 2020, there was a call to kill certain people. You just, it was just, you thought it was just rhetoric, right? You know, it's just, ah, and from the people you do saying these things, right? Right. And we have to check our own thinking when we say, oh, them. And that goes to not just like geopolitics, but the geopolitics of our world, of our individual world, from our inner world to the people that we're closest to, to our family. Because how many kids do you have, Bonnie? Four. Four. So you you had to step up for your kids. Yeah. You know, and not everyone does that. Yeah. yeah. So that is to be like high five through the camera screen. Thank you. <laughs> because um, I think, uh, you know, I, I was raised by a mom who, when I look at her history, it makes sense why she did what she did, yeah. but it was out of reaction. It was because she perceived herself as a victim. And so I can give her grace and compassion Um. It is sad to, because most of the gifts that the world sees me having, I know I inherited a strain of those from my mother, but I have been able to use those gifts differently, you know, loving people, being gregarious, those kinds of things, and how becoming a victim robbed her of her ability to be fully the person that she wanted to be and that she projected to so many that she was. And yeah. I think we've been talking about this when we find ourselves fascinating, it's because who we project is who we are. And when you were empty, it was because you were putting it in him to give you this. I like me when that's happiness is homemade. Yeah. To th this approval um, when we need to approve, we get to approve of ourselves. We don't need to, we get to approve of ourselves first. Um, how could anyone, we could have, we could have, we could have thousands and thousands of followers approving of us and it still wouldn't be enough. Right. Because validation it. from outside is never enough. It's never, never enough. And right. let's, let's dive into that. Cause I know you're capable of deep thought here. Cause this mm -hmm. is fun. Um, approval without substance is not what you're talking about. It's like a drug. It's like, um, it's like candy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, people like you just have to love me because I'm me kind of attitude. That's uh, not what yeah. we're talking about. You're talking about, I keep a commitment. I make a commitment. I approve of me. That is self-esteem. I'm proud of how I show up. I approve of me, not, you know, approval without any substance behind it other yes. than your breathing. People don't understand what self-esteem really is. Right. Self-esteem is I trust me to keep my commitments to myself mm -hmm. and I know I can count on me always right. it's not the hot no matter what <laughs> and i know because i've seen some of your posts that i'm like i knew you you know it's just going to be hearing you say it instead of me say it because again that's one of those eternal proofs that if you're a liar you project lying that everyone else is a liar 
if you were a cheater, you'd project that everyone else is a cheater. And I have said many times that I'd rather be stunned by people's bad behavior than go around suspecting everyone of it. Yes. And so I do get stunned from time to time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but in general, I get to just assume everyone's awesome. Right. I like that. And, you know, Gio said a German philosopher, treat a man as he is, and he will strive to be, um, he will treat a man as he can become, and he will strive to achieve it. Treat a man as he is. Oh crap. I slaughtered the quote. Treat him as he is. Oh yeah. Basically it means if you treat someone better than they are, they will strive to do that. And if you treat them just as they are, they will just kind of mellow into that. But I slaughtered the quote and now it's not coming to me. (laughs) I got, I got what you're saying though. Um, So maybe, um, maybe sometime during this conversation, a poem will come to me to recite. I love reciting poetry. I have 123 memorized and I just memorized my first stanza in German this week. So I'm really proud of myself. I don't actually speak German. (laughs) You, okay. First of all, I will give you another high five to the camera. Boom. <laughs> For being a memorizer, it has never been my my gift to memorize things word for word. And so uh, I love that. And I, I work on it, you know, but, you know, I have to have them almost lyrically done in my mind. And once the, the tune gets messed up, then it's like, okay, well, you guys got it. <laughs> so I do a lot of uh, paraphrasing of, of things, but I can remember conversations really well, but not word for word. So right. poetry obviously has to be done word for word. Yes. And it's frustrating when I know I had it and I just can't think of that one word or line or something, but yeah. Um, and it's hard to keep up, keep them up. You know, they get, re- they get rusty. <laughs> they get I had a missionary rusty. companion when I served a mission for my church that you would, I would read a scripture to her while she was driving. So she's multitasking here. And she could recite it again. It was memorized. Oh, that's awesome. I'm like, it was like not a photograph. wasn't even looking at it. Yeah. It wasn't like a photographic memory. She had to read it. But if she heard it, it was, you know, it was hers. It was wow. hers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the cool thing is that um, I'm sometimes I'm talking to a person and it feels like one of the poems will like tap me on the shoulder and say, hey. I want to go to this person. Share me, share me. <laughs> then, <laughs> then I'm like, Hey, this sounds weird, but can I share a poem with you? And they're like, sure. And then they're, and they're like, okay, like, wait, you're just going to like, say it. You don't have to look it up. Like, yeah. I think that's when they burst into tears and yeah, it's cool. Well, <laughs> you know, those little taps on the shoulder. Um, mm-hmm. I think we all know where those come from. Yep. Oh. Yep. Um, okay. So I want to dive in because I know you've got lots of juiciness Let's to talk. Dive about. in. Let's go deep. I like, to um, and I'm, and um, for some of my audience, I'm going to guess about 40% are people of faith, you know, yeah. and um, algorithms are not always given to me on, you know, exactly. So I'm just making an assumption from comments and things like that, that I get. Um, but this feminism idea, and because you're somebody that also has faith, I think sometimes people that do have that place of faith are kind of like, what, you know, get a little nervous about the feminine and masculine. So I kind of want us to like debunk that a little bit. I love this topic so much. I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I originally wanted you on the podcast was because of your approach to this. So I'm just going to let you as the pro you are take it and I will respond. Yeah. So, um, I've been in the single scene for several years now and most of the women in the single scene are very masculinized and it's not their fault because they've had, they don't have a spouse supporting them. They have to work and take care of their children and take care of all their emotional needs. I mean, they have their girlfriends, but it's not the same, right. As a partner. And Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they've become masculinized, but then they, um, but then they, they don't know how to relate to these men romantically anymore, and they attract feminized men, and then they, mm-hmm. they just aren't getting what they need uh, from these relationships. So I've made it a point to show up as a feminine woman in the scene, and it's ruffled a lot of feathers. <laughs> Okay. So you, you put out a lot of stuff right there. So let's make sure people understand what we're talking about. Um, 
you know, when you would say masculine, you might be like, oh, broad shoulders, Adam's apple, you know, <laughs> little hair on the chin. Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> I pluck it. Right. So it's somebody who's these boss babe types who can do yeah. all the things and they don't need a man. But they may be physically feminine looking, but you're talking about, I don't need you. Every time yeah. of, right? masculinity is anytime you're doing something to get a result. So actually right. makeup is masculine, even though it makes you look pretty, like it's because it's <laughs> trying to get a result. Anytime we're showing up, going after a goal, like putting an energy, mm. to go after something that's masculine. And I approach it differently, mm-hmm. you know, because to me, I see it as a, while I'm putting this on, I'm assessing my mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm assessing my purpose for the day. So there's that masculine, yes. I guess, so right? That's, you're going but, into, that's the feminine part of it. Right. But I'm looking at it as a nurturing thing. And the days that I don't feel that I need to do that, I'm still nurturing me by putting my skincare on, brushing my teeth, doing my deodorant, you know? So it's just part of what level nurturing. of self-care yes. am I doing? But I'm not doing it to, and I discourage people to do it from the standpoint of, I need you to validate me because I'm a hottie. It's the intention. I already am a hottie, Mm -hmm. right? It's just, you do it to bring people in, to draw people in to you. Right. And that's your intention not not to put on a false mask, right? Right. So that's my approach to makeup. But I do agree if you're doing it to go hunt out a, you know, to go, I'm so good looking, I'm going to the club. Cover up something. Or yeah, yeah. Anyway, Um, that's just an example of, you know, masculinity and femininity, it's not what most people think it is. Right. That's the, en- right. That's the energy. The energy is either pushing out as masculine or drawing in and that's feminine. I mean, so that's like just the basic nurturing, caring, communication, those yeah. are feminine things, right? Yeah. So masculine is um, your, your job, your, um, your outside perceptions, the, the, those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Just yeah. kind so of trying to generalize out. it a little bit. And right. we're always, okay. we all push and pull all the time, right? Right. But it's which one are we in most often and what is the quality of the energy? Got it. Okay. So in dating, it's deeper than this boss babe thing. Cause I find that, um, first of all, someone calls me a boss babe. I'm like, I'm not good at my job because of what I look like or because my body parts. Or because I'm meeting other people. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I I'm good at my job because I put the work in. Right. I do the thing. Show up. Right. Which can come from a very nurturing place now that you're talking about it. Right. Like I I jokingly talk about flirting with my clients because I'm, you know, touching them and loving on them and, you know, nurturing that relationship instead of being like closing people. Yeah. Right. Well, some argue that everything is about seduction. <laughs> mm, mm. I mean, you could make the argument, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Depends, depends it on just depends <laughs> what kind of seduction. I am only yeah. trying to seduce one guy and he's pretty locked in. So I'm one of the lucky ones that he stayed committed to. So that that works best. But you Love know, you talked about your that. marriage that um a lot of times these marriages become disconnected because one person's doing all the work. Yeah. And there's no um, more seduction anymore. Cause you're like, well, I've got him. Like he's, you know, you stop seducing each other. And that's sad because that's, that's so oh, no, we flirt. fun and flirty mm-hmm. and playful about life. Right. When the kids were little, we used to go into the pantry and make <laughs> sounds. <laughs> um, <laughs> And they'd be like, oh, that's so cute. You know, but <laughs> our son's married young. So we must have made it look like a lot of good times. And our daughter keeps talking about how she can't wait to meet her future husband. I'm like, whoa, hold her up, hold her up. But, so um, and I call him lover and lover man and sexy in front Aww. of everybody. I love it. <laughs> the words we use to address each other add up. Yes. And the tone that we use add up. You know, okay, you you had a moment there. You're you were like, mm, mm, what what thought did you have there, Donnie? Because you had a deep thought. I was thinking about my daughter and how much she is yearning for for this kind of a relationship. And I am so grateful 
that I stopped modeling a disconnected marriage to her when I did. I just love that wording so much. The disconnect. I just love that because there's so much openness to what it was in that instead of just being like, oh, it was all them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and now she, and now she gets the opportunity to see the marriage of her dad and stepmom, which is a lot better. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than ours was. And she gets to see me. She said, Oh mom, it's so fun that we're both dating at the same time. Um, (laughs) We were both getting ready for a dance. I had a different dance and she had her, you know, high school dance and we're both getting ready at the same time. And, and so it's, it's been really fun um, because I get to model for her how to be a feminine woman and how to be and how to honor men and how to just talk about my dream relationship. And she's taken on this, her, she's, she talks about her own dream relationship for the future all the time. And she's just like longing for it. It's so cute. Um, so I, I do, I, you know, it's almost controversial in today's world, which makes me really sad. Um, I put up a post not too long ago about how I don't find it demeaning to cook my husband dinner. Yeah. You know, because it's like somebody in a relationship has to do certain things. Yes. (laughs) And though there can be an overlap of some of those things that people do together. Like in my marriage, both my husband and I earn money. However, it is, we've always prioritized his career, his education. Um, doesn't mean that mine hasn't been important, but yeah. my primary role has been to be a wife and a mother. And you love and it. I, you find joy. In I it. do love it. And I also love it because my husband treats it with more importance than his job. Oh, I love that. I am held up as the queen of the house. And I don't want to, and I almost hate to use those words because there's so much like, I can do whatever I want if I'm the queen. I'm an empowered Um, queen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I am, my role of being the mother is the most eternal, important thing that is happening on the day-to-day attitude of this home. And he is earning money to support me and being able to put that first. And that we are fortunate enough that there is enough money that my work is a choice. I love it. And my husband has a heart condition. So that's been one of the reasons that I got more motivated, you know, but I've never felt that my work was more important when I woke up in the morning than connecting with my kids. And that is why it's so poopy. They have grown up and left home. Oh, I know it's so sad. And did you, um, know, did you know that when you cook food, that when you go through the chemical process of, of heating it, that the emotions in your aura go into the food as you break down the connections and the molecules um, at, through the process of cooking. It just happens. Those go into the food. And so when you cook the food with love, they're eating your love. And that's why home-cooked meals are so satisfying. You can go oh, to a restaurant and have the best food in the world, right? And it doesn't satisfy. Okay. So that brings tears to my eyes in my pantry because my mother never cooked. And when I first started, when I first got married and I was cooking, my mom said, don't cook for him. He'll come to expect it, which I can joke about explains a lot about how um, she didn't cook. And my brother and I were just talking about, he goes, I never remember mom cleaning a dish. And I'm like, I don't think she ever did, you know, and she did not enjoy those things. And it was very much my choosing to lean into the role of being a mom is very much a reaction. And yes, I chose that word to what I didn't get, but in that consciously choosing, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this hard. Like I'm going to do it. Um, I have found healing from what happened. And so, yes, I might've pendulum swinged a little bit further, but somebody has to be the mother. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to cook dinner. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to do the driving the kids somewhere. These things have to happen. And if they yeah. don't happen, I know exactly what that looks like. That was my childhood. Yes. And so doing those with a resentful attitude in my pantry, I have a scripture that says, she being a hearer of the word is a doer of the word. Mm-hmm. 
And so it was a reminder to me if I ever went into that pantry to grab ingredients, being like, why am I having to cook dinner? And I didn't get to finish this work thing I need to do. Or, you know, it was an attitude check for me Mm -hmm. to see if I was doing this with love. And so when you said that, it was like this hundreds of thousands of times or whatever, who knows? Cause we, I cook almost every night, um, that I did that sometimes with that stress, but then check myself to be like that. I poured love into it and my kids are healthy on love. Yeah. And how intimate is that, that you're cooking something that they're putting in their body and experiencing like it's sensual and it's connecting and it's intimate. If you think about it, how beautiful yeah. that you get to have that experience with your family every night. And so many people do not have that. Which is well, sad. I have two siblings that struggle with drugs um, and uh, you know, altered them very differently as people than what I remember them being. And, you know, of course that statistic, you know, if you feed your kids dinner, they are more or less likely to do drugs. I took that to heart. I did not want them to do drugs. And of course we're going to have conversations and connection. Um, Okay. So here is a theory and I want to bounce this off of you. I have a friend who has an Egyptian art hanging on her wall. And I, and I, and she lived over in the middle East as a traveling nurse. And I said, tell me about this. And she said, well, I know, because she is the same Christian faith that I have. She's like, I know in our faith, we don't really talk about like where, you know, our heavenly mother is. But in the Egyptian belief, she is the God that after we die, she nourishes us and nurtures us and consoles us from the hurts of life. So that is what she's actively doing. Gaia? Is that... Do you even know who we're talking about? I guess. Cause I don't, she didn't tell me the name of the goddess, but that this goddess that when we die, this, this, the, the top mom God, right. Is when we die, she's the one that embraces us. And I love this because when my kids come home from school, I was the one that was like, tell me about your day and embracing them with love. Of course, that's where our heavenly mother is. And so people you know, and God's like, Hey guys, I need you to follow these rules. So you can come back. I need you to do this. And so we have more of this masculine energy with God, but I know when I gave birth, I felt a, a feminine divine. There has to be the structure and there has to be the flow within the structure. Right. And right. So Heavenly father provides the structure. Heavenly mother is the is this um, feminine flow between. Yeah. Right. But that, it kind of explains why we talk about one over the other more and that men translated the Bible. Yes. And even in Avatar 2, The Way of Water, they talk about the mother earth receiving Mm -hmm. us, uh, how she she gave the the dead child back to her, back to mother earth. It's beautiful. Yeah. And the Native American culture, they have the same kind of thing and that you treat the, the things that nourish you, the earth, the plants, your surroundings, um, as a stewardship. Yes. And I, I, uh, I don't allow meat to be thrown away in my house. It has to be, you know, you need to eat it later or give it to an animal because something died for that. And I joke, it's my native American sensitivities, but um, you know, everything that comes around, there is a stewardship. And if an animal died for that, you know, you don't just throw that in the trash. It gets to nourish something. <laughs> yeah. It, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you don't have to eat it right now, but we're not going to waste it. Yes. Cause that was life, you know, that's beautiful. Yes. Okay. So with this feminine flow, how does that show up? Cause you said it ruffled a little bit of people's feathers with your dating. Yeah, well, just in the, uh, in this, so when I, when I post things to my audience, they get me, they get me that I'm kind of polarizing, they get, they get that I'm trying to like, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to offend people, I'm trying to make people think, I'm trying to challenge their beliefs, just to see how committed that to them they are, but when my posts would get reposted in the singles groups, that's when people would come out of the woodwork to attack me personally. 
Okay. Okay. Like, why do you need to attack me personally just because you disagree with what I'm saying? Like, can't you just keep scrolling? <laughs> well, that's that's a big age debate because um, it's it's uh, you know. Okay, so I have an ex sister in law who was one of the most unpleasant people you could ever know. In fact, when my daughter died, she sent me a letter that if I loved my daughter, I would have died inside. And every family insult she was able to glean in her time in the marriage. Not for my brother, because he's the he's without guile. He's the sweetest thing in the world. But um, which is why I think she snagged him because she knew he was so nice. And he was used to complying to negative feminine energy. You know, I'm using the words of this conversation, right? But I come from a matriarchy. Women had all the power. Men did not. And I'm telling you, it was not a pleasant experience because they used, um, instead of just coming out and saying what was needed to happen, it was either coyly done because they didn't feel like they should directly do it or it was yelled, but there was very little, just the rules moved around a lot. Right. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, the toxic, no one talks about toxic feminine. Energy. Oh, I they do. only talk about toxic masculine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I hate that. So it sounds like when sometimes when they say the toxic masculine, like only men can be toxic, right? <laughs> Any human being can be toxic. Anything taken to an extreme is toxic. Well, well said, you know, well said. So anyway, she, um, her hobby is being online arguing with people. So when anyone very toxic (laughs) argues with me, because women, when they don't like someone, they go after their social reputation, right? Yes. (laughs) So, um, when somebody is like attacking me online, I envision her face because I know that she's very unpleasant and couldn't even be pleasant around a dead child. So if that is the kind of person who's trying to attack me, I'm like, Oh, the conversation's over. If all you have is personal attacks, we can have a dialogue. We can Mm -hmm. have a conversation, but the more you personally attack me, the least I care, the less I care about your opinion. Because I'm imagining you're that bitter individual that's one of the most unpleasant people I've ever known. And I've known a lot of people, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm just like, I don't, I don't really need your input of how to be miserable. And it will never get that, like the conversation when someone's in that place, it will never go to a good place. It can't. Right. So there's nothing you can do. So you might as well end it. Right. And so you're challenging people. That really, if they attack you, when people attack us, it says more about them than it says about us, you know, um, and, um, obviously I'm not, I'm not there for those people. Like I, my messages are for the people that go, oh, well, maybe I do get to change something and take some responsibility. Oh, maybe there is a different way to see the situation. Oh, maybe I'm not as committed to that belief as I once thought. Right. Those are my people that I'm trying to reach. Well, and I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed the fact that um, I'm putting out content continually about what a happy marriage looks like. And I'm doing that on purpose. Yes. Very much on purpose. My social media is about God and family. That is the purpose of it. So when people are like, Hey, will you help promote this? I'm like, no, nope. that's mm-hmm. not what it's about. I am promoting a very clear purpose, very little about what I actually do to make money. Even when the algorithms favored business posts, people thought I was crazy because I was still talking about God and family. But the reason I'm doing that is because as I become more and more successful, I feel like it's more and more valuable that I'm saying I still prioritize my role as a mom and a wife and a lover and a best friend. Like these are the things. So I share little niceties that my husband does for me. It feels a little braggios to be like, these are the nice things I do for my husband. But so I share more of what he does for me. Um, But they're very much protective, which is masculine. You know, things that he does for me, um, you know, leaving out my herbs is something he does every single morning, you know? Yeah, because that's a way he can provide for you and just make your life a little bit easier. 
And he provides, he provides in all the ways. Like people are like, oh, you have to make money because you're, I'm like, no, my husband does very well. That being said, I want to, and then you want to nurture him by making dinner because right. Both just want to do that. I, because of the circumstances of his heart, I felt like I needed to figure out how to make money more, Mm -hmm. but more than that, my husband's always encouraged me to pursue my talents you know, and encourage me to pursue what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been in servitude to him, even though I do things that today's world counts as servitude. Yeah. I do those with the chemical reaction of love. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel so sorry for all these women who are depriving themselves of this huge blessing of having a relationship like this. I just wish they knew how to let, how to let a man take care of them because mm-hmm. they're too afraid to allow that because they're too afraid it will mean something about them, that they're not strong enough or, or that they, that they will get hurt. Right. Yeah. I just wish but we will be that armor. We will be hurt in life, yes. but, but the, the crazy thing is, you know, it's only in that surrender to another person. And this is in a marriage or a friendship or any kind of connection. Does that connection go deeper? Yes. You have to get, you, know? past, you have to get past those walls and that armor or else you don't have connection. Without right. connection, you don't have a relationship. <laughs> yeah. I, and over 14 years. I, I know there are people that live kind of on the surface of the water And I don't know if that's like an environmental thing, you know, that they were taught to never go deep. Um, Bonnie's like shaking her head. Yeah, that's, that's what it is, you know? Um, And then there's some people that are just um, a little bit more simple, maybe in their, um, in their emotional needs. Like there was this, this friend of mine that, you know, told me she didn't really need to be hugged or touched much. And I was like, oh, did you get molested or hurt? And she's like, no, I just don't feel the need to be touched much. And her husband, um, you know, that worked in the dynamics of their relationship. It wouldn't work in the dynamics of my relationship. I like to be hugged and touched a lot, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's one of my primary love languages, but which is why if I don't feel safe with you, you, you do not get to touch me, (laughs) you know? Um, I think most women though do want that. They just have shielded themselves from it because they've been hurt yeah she said she never had a trauma and had a good childhood i guess it just maybe personality type you know i don't know she seems very happy and she's cooking dinner for her husband and she's got a bunch of kids and they're doing great and so there's no no scene that i can see from the outside that you know she's just got a different need but then there's those that are like we go so deep that you're like in the slogging of the mud on the bottom of the ocean you know? And so there's kind of this happy medium of kind of playing with the plants on the bottom of the ocean, you know, and you can come up for air sometimes to, you know, coral doesn't grow at the bottom. There's no light, right? Coral grows in this happy medium where there's just enough light and just enough depth. And that's where the beauty is. Yeah. And so, you know, being so deep that we're slogged to so that we never get in the water. And there's nasty, you know. scary creatures in the deep part, in the dark. Have you seen well, that? that's good. I, yeah, they're terrifying. They're terrifying. And I don't know how to swim, so I don't like to talk about those. <laughs> talk about fears. I'm like, ah. You know, the, the darkness of the ocean is like, uh, but I'm trying to like use this analogy of depth. Yeah. And so yeah. the feminine thing, you know, going back to that, that I think a lot of times people think femininity is, you know, wearing heels and having our, our girls more pronounced, you know, where I actually masculine. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because yeah, we'll see. And I think that's what people think. And obviously myself included, if I were to give like a stereotype, but to me, I look at femininity as, you know, the 22 hours that I gave birth, the two and a half days, the, um, the feminine strength that I was able to have when I was in a, a wheelchair and still caring for my children and choosing to be pleasant about it. Mm-hmm. And you just know? showing and, up knowing 
knowing who you are, knowing you're beautiful, no matter what, that's true femininity. Well, women actually have a higher pain tolerance than men. Did you know that? Really? I did not know that. Yes. But it makes sense. Yes. And the reason women fainted a lot back in the day was because of corsets, because we were not able to breathe fully. But men are actually more prone to fainting than women are. Really? (laughs) And if you think about, and we also have um, stronger immune systems because, you know, if a man dies, it's sad, but he can be replaced, not hating on men, but ancient societies, right? Evolutionarily speaking. Right. Evolutionary (laughs) speaking. But if a woman dies... Um, another woman is not always able to breastfeed her child. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to take on the child rearing of another child. And so we are actually very hardy to deal with a lot of difficulty because, but our purpose, evolutionary speaking, was not to go out and hunt and fight the bear. Yeah. And I, and I think that um, childbirth, the reason it's so painful is because it forces us to stop. Because otherwise we would, st- otherwise our ancestors would have still kept working in the fields right up to popping that baby out. But it forces us to stop, hunker down and just be taken care of because we can't, because of that intense pain, we can't focus on anything else because normally our minds want to focus, we have diffuse awareness. And so normally we want to focus on all this stuff, but it forces us into that moment and we have to be, yeah. we have to be still, right? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, I found giving birth incredibly empowering and not that I'm very thankful for modern medicine, but I did it two times without any pain medication. Wow. And more of a, a medical decision because I have a degenerative hip, you know, then, um, but I found it to be like, the reason I did it wasn't like, uh, Oh, I don't want to have chemicals, even though I'm, you know, there's advantages to that, but I, I'm also really glad that we don't die in childbirth like we used to at the rates that we used to. So I I attribute that to modern medicine, but I could feel my son pushing on my rib cage in as he was crowning and my husband rubbing my back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we're a family. You know, it was beautiful. And it was, I was strong and I was doing it. And so I think, it's I'm bringing this up as almost an analogy that modern conveniences from our evolutionary past that women for, you know, million, million, millions of years, or however long you believe humans beings have been around that women have lived, that it's just been this last little silver of time that women have been able to have the attitude that they don't need a man. Yes. And we're fighting not only our history, our biology. And we wonder why women are so sad. And they did a survey recently, a study of um, who were the most happy women. And they had the 20 somethings that have multiple sexual partners, very free in that to the 30 somethings that are climbing the corporate ladder to the 40 year old women with kids and so on. Right. And so they had all these different groups and it was like 30 different groups of women. So the 40 not married, you know, CEO, right? Come to find out the happiest women were the 40 somethings with children married. And they might've worked, they might not have worked that I don't remember that being a part of it, but literally the women that were more closely following what we would call historical patterns for women being the primary caregivers having a protective and secure marriage report being the happiest and the commentators are listening to were like, Oh, it's only because they think they're happy. (laughs) And it's like, no, you can't fake actual happiness. But They're not addicted to pharmaceuticals and they're not committing suicide and they're not, uh, sorry, choosing suicide. And they're not, um, they're not doing the self-destructive behaviors. Well, you know, like we've been talking about at the beginning from finding ourselves fascinating to doing the work on ourselves, to committing to showing up how we want to show up and having that be in line with who we actually are. That is happiness. You know, you call it self-esteem, right? I call it hotness, you know, <laughs> right? Like who we actually are 
and society telling us, and I don't know if you've seen those videos of women being really angry that, that society has lied to them because they now are past the age where they could comfortably have children. They have been lied to by the media and all the movies and shows yeah. for years. It is sad. Right. I mean, like everyone loved, everybody loves Raymond. That I think that's when I first noticed that Raymond was a doofus. You know, let me interpret it for those who were not alive in the 80s. Raymond is the 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 comical, laughable, he's not competent. And the friction in their marriage, so much of it is because she's like, did you think it through? So she's having to be the masculine, right? Mm. And she's frustrated with him because he didn't, he's not being this, you know, protective guy and she's trying to take it away from him yeah (laughs) yeah and so whatever those dynamics were um you know uh and it makes funny comedy it was hilarious but i'm like i remember just kind of looking at it thinking like everybody loves raymond but i don't want to marry a raymond Mm -mm. you know and i tolerates raymond would have been the better Right. And um, I had um, a guy that was kind of stalking me, what we would call to stalking me now. And I turned to him one day in frustration and I said, why do you keep following me around when I give you no encouragement? And he said, because I know you're strong and you'll carry me through life. And I was like, thank you for that feedback. What signals am I sending out that I will take care of you. And just because I'd taken care of everyone up until that point in my life, I was in charge of taking care of my mother, was in charge of taking care of my little brother. I was very capable. Um, When you talked about showing up to date, I'm like, I am so glad I showed up with my feminine. Yes. And my husband was so attracted to that. And he is such a capable doer, but he would not have been attracted to what I was at 20. Yeah. You, you exude the mother archetype, this caregiver, warm, nurturing. Um, and so, because that energy is so strong in you, that man picked up on that because he is looking for a mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's so many men Not in for the me scene. to be his mom. No, but they need like mothering. Right. And there's so many men in the single scene that are looking to be mothered. It's astounding. It's because of their mommy issues growing up and they need what they need is a therapist to heal their mommy issues, but they're looking for it in their relationship. And okay. A mother child relationship. There's no sex in that relationship. And so it's <laughs> not going to be satisfying romantically. Right. Okay? Right. It's just, it's everywhere. And it's like, okay, do your inner work and then attract because you will attract someone based on your woundedness until you've had a critical mass of healing, you can't heal completely before you go get a relationship because relationships are meant to drive you to deeper levels of your healing, right? Right. Deeper into the part of the ocean. Yes. You need a critical mass so that now your vibration, your point of attraction is not from your woundedness, but your point of attraction. Once you've tipped the scale, your point of attraction is going to be from your authenticity and you want to attract someone based on your authenticity, not your woundedness. Right. Amen. Right. And you know, the trauma bonding term comes to mind, Yes, you know, and um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really deep stuff, but I think, you know, this, this message that society has, and I know you agree with me um, and we'll probably have to end with this, but that this message that people are sending us as women, what do we need to think very carefully as women, what do they have to gain by tearing down traditional roles? Mm. you know, and, you know, corporations had a lot to gain because it, lose, lowered, lose. <laughs> yeah. it, it lo- lowered the income for men because they now had doubled the work population. So they could offer less benefits, less salary to get a worker. So obviously that's why corporations thought that was a great thing. And of course, governments think it's a great thing because you've also doubled the tax base. Yeah. So it's lose, but, lose for men and women and win, win for these. Entities. Right. But also a win for government, a lose for government, sorry, a lose for governments, because now most Western societies, meaning people who picked up on this attitude, do not have enough birth babies being made 
to keep up with the demand for their social welfare programs. And even if there are babies, they're not being parented in a strong two-parent home. And so these people are just a drain on society rather than... Yeah, we've got over 50% of our society receiving some form of government. And I'm all for a safety net for the poor. But when we're telling people you are incapable and the government becomes your spouse, the government becomes your, your lover, yeah. you know, in you your heart, stay in your the paycheck, yeah. you know, um, they, don't, they don't live in the safety net, you know, so, you know, and then you get them back on their feet. Exactly. It's old advice, <laughs> but look to what someone has before you take their advice mm. and ask yourself if you want that, yeah. you know? Okay. So I, I think, um, you know, I know you do some coaching and things like that. And it's important that, you know, when you're going and picking a coach to my listeners, that you make sure you're getting someone who's using language, like disconnected, looking at their accountability part, because a good coach is going to guide you with accountability. Like I'm a teacher. I train, I teach. So when people come to me for coaching, I'm like, okay, it's this much an hour, but I don't want to be someone's accountability partner. That's what a real coach does is they're helping kind of guide you through these different principles. Um, And I teach people how to be their own accountability partner so that they don't need me anymore. (laughs) Right. So it's not a permanent relationship, but you're teaching that I want like one hour and we're done, like teaching you a thing and we're done. Um, But it's important because there's a lot of coaches out there that teach you to lean into your weakness, teach you to lean into this concept that you've somehow been wronged by life. And here's the system of how to basically navigate what I see as manipulation. And sometimes therapists are guilty of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just important that if you have a girlfriend, if you have a coach, if you have a therapist, if you have a spouse, that you're looking at how are we intentionally showing up for yourself and how that reflects on others. So what, what was, what are your closing thoughts? Um, it has, it has so much to do with your relationship with your inner critic and is your, is your inner critic out to just beat you down, um, and judge you or is your inner critic there to help you discern the truth of yourself and your life and the way you're showing up and and help steer you in a direction that will help you to express yourself more fully right express the truth of yourself more yeah, fully. yeah. And so that relationship is pivotal your your relationship with your inner critic um and so if if that's something you need some awareness around i do have a quiz called how mean is your inner critic and it can help you Ooh. kind of Pay attention to how your inner critic talks to you. And then uh, based on your result from that quiz, I give you some pointers on how you can up-level your self-talk. So I call myself Love it. Talk Sherpa. Love it. So yeah, so if you want access to that, that link will be in the show notes or it's just bit.ly slash inner critic quiz with hyphens between inner critic quiz. So yeah. I love it. That is so good because I teach these principles as well and it is a constant tool exercise it is not something you achieve it's something you work on and so having that assessment no matter where you think you are sounds like a great idea yeah yeah you know so I have perfect well Bonnie I know that we could talk forever because we did you came (laughs) over for the makeover um it's like you know 40 minutes for the makeover two hours for bonding um you know whatever whatever ended up being but thank you for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. Thank you so much. It was fun.